monsters. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to another episode of Fams and Monsters Radio where we explore the strange and the unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Stricker. Thanks for joining us. Now, if you enjoy our content, then please subscribe, like, and share our presentation. Super Chat is active during the show. So please show your support for Fams and Monsters by clicking the dollar icon under the chat. You can also support the channel by using the Buy Me a Coffee link or banner on the description below. Now, your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight, I welcome my friend and colleague, Jeanette Matachia Lucas, who is a forensic psychic, crime profiler, and treasure hunter. Now, Jeanette will be sharing some of her life adventures, uh, which is, is like an open book with multiple chapters on the paranormal. Her work includes recovery of re treasures owned by mob boss Al Capone and his associate Frank Nitti, the investigation of uh, missing toddler Kaylee Anthony, and yes, the locating of the remains of missing congressional intern Chandra Levy. These are just a few names in her chapters of successes. Uh, Jeanette is going to share with us some of her old and new finds, both treasure hunting and missing persons. Now, Jeanette has been interviewed on CNN, NBC, Fox TV, and has uh, been written about in the Washington Post, LA Times, New York Huffington Post, and Orlando Sentinel, Mag uh, Smithsonian Magazine, as well as numerous books and other media outlets. Jeanette uses her dowsing skills, intuition, and dream incubation talent to successfully solve projects. She is internationally known for high-profile true crime cases, treasure hunting, and dream studies to predict future world events. Typically, both believers and skeptics follow her postings and predictions. So follow us as we hear uh, what she and her team are up to in 2022 and the future. Uh, and Jeanette's website can be found at reachjeanette.com. Uh, reach so Jeanette, thank you for coming on this evening. Hey, thanks, Lon. It's good to talk to you. Uh, well, you and I talk a lot, but I, <laughs> I haven't, interviewed, haven't interviewed you much. I think the last time was about two, two and a half years ago. So uh, for those who aren't familiar with you, kind of give us a thumbnail what how you got started and uh, your background, your father's background and, and such. Sure. So my father in the early 1960s learned about a thing called dowsing. And some of your listeners might know what that is. And he was so fascinated by it. He learned that you could find water using an L rod uh, to, to locate the water. And then you could also use the same L rod to find missing persons or to find missing objects and the list is long and he thought well gosh the vietnam war is going on which ages us and he said why can't i use the same thing the same technique of dowsing 
to help with the Vietnam booby traps and communication devices and rat tunnelers. <clears throat> and uh, so he decided to have the uh, general staff uh, from the Pentagon come out and he showed him how it worked and said, let's find water first. That's the, the starting of the foundation. And then let's do this, this, and this. And each one was a buildup of talent. And then you would learn this, the, the method of this is yes, this is no, this is danger, this is step away, and so forth. Um, and, and anything in the paranormal has a pattern, in my opinion. I don't know what you think, Lon, but... Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, everybody goes, oh, I get the vibe. You know, there is a vibe. There really is. So he uh, sent the uh, filming of the training classes to various militaries. <clears throat> and at that time, I was seven. And he was also into uh, dream work. And because he dealt with the ARE organization, um, you know, the Edgar Casey group, um, which was very big into dream incubation or dream dreaming. And then he was big into, uh, he had just started learning about the machines or the, I guess, I, tools, equipment to hear the other side. So that's something else. That was way back in the 60s. And he was hanging around some political uh, f figures <clears throat> at the time. And some were CIA, FBI, and um, a couple senators' office offices. And so I was sort of thrown into it. It's like, oh, you know, you grow up and your dad's a cop, you're going to be thrown into the criminology. Your dad's, you know, a teacher, you're going to learn more about education. So I sort of fell into the p paranormal. And the next thing you know, when I was about seven, I had my first near-death experience um and and it, you know, i almost drowned and um i was saved by a woman <clears throat> who was uh angelic looking and um so you know being seven years old you have to be able to recognize what you're seeing so i really didn't tell anybody but i i finally told my sister and she said you know i almost drowned in the same lake and i had the same experience and i thought okay so then your mind starts clicking i know it's early at age seven but uh, both of us, and that was my twin at the time, <clears throat> and she said it was angelic, and I thought, is it a ghost or is it an angel? But it had wings, so I'm going to put it in the category of angel. And after that, my life sort of just spiraled in the direction of the paranormal, but mm -hmm. it didn't pay the bills when you grow up. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, I was in high school, uh, and I was... <laughs> I got a laugh. I was in like third grade and, and doing psychic readings periodically. And I, I was making 20 bucks a client, which was really pretty darn good back in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't consistent. So I took a job as a secretary. And of course, that's a different career in itself. And um, I eventually thought, you know, I got into uh, uh, an accident and I was in the hospital and had a near death in the hospital. My kidneys collapsed. And um, I had a very lengthy near death and um, I haven't written about it yet, but I'll, I'll get there. You, you know, um, I have another book. I'm uh, the proposal is I'm on five chapter five. So that's coming along. So, uh, you know, so we'll jump around a little bit, but um, each experience I think we have and anything we do um, adds on to your abilities as an expert eventually. And I, I really adore the uh, paranormal 
the whole plethora. It's just amazing to me. And that's why I call you and bug you. Hey, what's going on with Bigfoot? Because <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I'm definitely not an expert, but I'm always dying to hear what's going on and what are they up to and what do they find? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like going to a museum. Oh, what's down that hall? You know, what's down that hall? And um, so I had some odd experiences. And um, so I guess a total of at least three or four near deaths and uh, dealt with it, just, it, it was like reading a chapter of a book or reading a book. And then um, eventually they told me my whole life would change at 27, which was uh, the experience in the hospital, very lengthy uh, near death. And they told me my whole life was gonna change right then. <clears throat> and at 27, I became a full-time psychic. And I made enough to survive be- being a psychic with an income, so I, I was one of the lucky ones, but apparently I had a pretty highly accurate ratio. And I, I unfortunately I gave some predictions, which I should have been a, a little bit softer on. Um, I would do regular radio shows in the DC area because I'm from the DC area. And people would, co- would call in and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? <clears throat> and people would call and say, mm, are there gonna be any plane crashes? And I would give some very serious uh, commitments and dates and airplanes and airlines and say, oh, there's going to be a plane crash this date. It's leaving Chicago O'Hare and it's crashing in Sioux City, Iowa. And, you know, when when I predicted that particular one, it was three in a row. So there is a good, bad and ugly in the paranormal. And I tell people it's a really hard job. It's not fun. I I wouldn't push anybody into it. It's it's not it's not glamorous. You get insulted regularly. That's 50% of the business, <clears throat> but um, with um, with the plane crash, for example, I noticed some of my abilities were just perception, and then some mm-hmm. of my abilities were dreams, and so I, I did what I call drink, dream incubation, <clears throat> which I sometimes teach on the, on the side, and then I noticed that I could actually figure out a date and a time, and so I predicted the fall of the Berlin Wall at a party, and people thought I was crazy because <laughs> at that time, nobody thought the Berlin Wall was going to fall. <clears throat> and then I predicted 9-11 and I said, well, unfortunately, it's going to happen September 11, but it'll be in the newspaper September 12. So I decided to start touching the top of a newspaper and I started seeing more vision. So I applied uh, my talent with more tools. Um, so for example, um, I tell people when you try to develop your skills, you can use a newspaper, you can do touch, um, you know, they, they have in the dictionary, your clairvoyant, your clairaudient, your clair, you know, the list goes on again. And, um, I have a lot of those skills and I thought, oh, this is working. So I just did add-ons and the next thing you know, um, I had bigger and better skills and then I kept produ- predicting more and more things. And for example, if a client called me and said, hey, when am I gonna start my new job? I, and they'll, I, I heard a date. And so I actually hear information and I'll say, oh, feels like October, second week of the month. So I'll go October 9th, around the 9th. And I said, it has to do with a company that feels like three letters. So I'll say maybe IBM or you know, EXM or something like that. So that helped a lot because clients knew what they were looking for and Mm -hmm. they they would know which clients would respond with a a good offer. And so again, I'm jumping around, but I'm trying to give a a broad perspective of, 
you know, in my world, it's, um, it's a little bit of everything, but I'm just super fascinated by cryptoids. So that's why we talk periodically. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, in my world, I don't, uh, I don't run into cryptoids <laughs> and, uh, you do. And it, it's, uh, certainly very fascinating. Um, but I got to tell you, I was talking to a friend of yours, a new mutual friend of ours, <clears throat> and we were talking about your talent there, Lon, that you would get street names and dates and, and information. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I learned from a, a journalist by the name of Maureen Seberg that that kind of psychic ability is uh, only you can only own it by four percent of the, the world. Only four percent of the world has it. And I thought, wow, that's weird. And because I used to call it my cray cray ability. And um, she said, well, your cray cray ability is called synesthesia. And I said, oh, my God, Lon has synesthesia. And um, she said, well, what is that? So I sent her a note on it. And I said, Maureen Seberg, the journalist, <laughs> uh, was writing for or may still be writing for Psychology Today. Mm -hmm. And she writes about the various people that have synesthesia or they got into an accident and came down with synesthesia. Um, now, uh, you might have gotten your, you may have already had your synesthesia for a long time, which is the numbers and the names and all that, or either because you saw Bigfoot and you were standing there and, uh, you might, you might've gotten scared to death <laughs> looking at Mr. Bigfoot and, uh, and, and gotten synesthesia. I'm not really quite sure how it happens or affects the brain, but apparently according to Maureen, there's, um, a hundred different types of synesthesia. But um, I definitely think it's a, a add-on to your chromosomes. It's, it's super interesting. I believe she's writing more than one book about it, and she mm. has it. Of course, she has it. Of course. So, uh, how do you feel about? Do you are you in fear of seeing names and and hearing? I assume you hear uh, information, right? I, I see it in my mind's eye. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like well, you know, you've been talking to my friend Jen the last couple of days. Uh -huh. And it's interesting enough when I when she first called me, a name of her her previous boyfriend popped up, and uh, I asked her about it, and I think I bowled her over with it. But uh, yeah, I mean that's what happens to me. It happens a lot of times when I'm talking to people on the phone. I start seeing images. I start seeing past past events with them. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how that is. I, now I had a near death when I was about three, uh -huh. I, uh, I almost drowned and, uh -huh. um, now I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but my first, my first actual encounter with, the uh, with the unknown, the paranormal was, I was about nine years old at Gettysburg. And that's really when it opened up for me. And I started realizing it. Yeah, there's something going on. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I've kind of, you know, it's kind of expanded and, uh, you know, it's going through different levels, you know, but I've kind of worked on it and I use it for, you know, for what I do. Yeah, you've written, what, eight books now? Nine books, yeah. Nine books, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're, 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 again, you open it up and it's a museum. You're walking in and, you know, unfortunately, some of your stuff is super scary. So, you know, a lot of people <laughs> are apprehensive, you know. I, I'm I'm not on the fence with most of it. Some of it, it's I like to stay on the fence, so I'm not too scared. Because um, mm -hmm. some of the cryptoids are certainly unexplainable. Like mm -hmm. you're sitting there watching the scenario. If you see a documentary and you're thinking to yourself, "What is that?" 
and you can't explain it. It's 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 it's, it's undefinable, I guess. But uh, well, you know, the thing is uh, with cryptids. Uh, for those who have been fortunate enough to have an encounter, and I've been fortunate enough to have two encounters, uh, I, I I know that I'm dealing with some. We're dealing with something that's real. Uh -huh. uh, it's it's not that easy, even for people that do investigate it and have been you know caught the bug and investigated. Uh, they have a lot of questions. Uh, are I mean, do are they really investigating something that's actually there? Uh, I know for a fact that it it does exist, and uh, I, I think that makes it different. But then again, my perspective—I get a better perspective than most people because I've had the encounter, so I know how people deal with it and how they react to it. So um, that I think that's a big help, and I think it kind of helps me expanding myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been through a lot of, a lot of different, like I said, a lot of different levels. In, in as far as um, using my intuition, my clear sentence to to work work cases and investigation. Yeah, I, I I think it definitely helps. You can watch some of these TV shows, and I give them kudos for doing some of the things they do because, you know, you got to have the kudos to get out there and say, okay, I'm going to do this. But those people and and people joke about them. You know, some of them are heavy and. And I say, listen, they're out there kicking it, doing an investigation. They're in the thick of the scary stuff, getting mm -hmm. scratched, um, you know, all sorts of strange things from screams to to um, go into your car after you're done. And all of a sudden you see something in the in the driveway and you, one minute it'll be the shadow person um, <clears throat> or it'll be you know, some kind of ghostly apparition, or sometimes it's 4D where you can see through the person and you're thinking to yourself, okay, did I see that? So you you always have to ask your friend, hey, did you see what I just saw? Mm -hmm. uh, are we insane or what? But no, collectively, I think I think there's definitely a lot out there we can't explain. Um, but it's certainly fascinating, <laughs> you know? I, so when did you start getting involved with missing persons? And crime profiling? Well, I really probably haven't told a lot of people about this, but when I was 14, I went with my father to a class in Maryland where he was teaching a dowsing class. Mm -hmm. And we got to spend the night at one of the attendees' houses. And um, so I was in my own room as a guest. I was a big house. <clears throat> and I woke up from a very extreme dream and I had to run over and wake up my dad. I said, Dad, I had the most frightening dream. And I explained I was seeing a family of five. I was seeing that one of the kids out of the family of five was murdered. And everybody thought the parents did it. But I said, no, it's not the parents. He was in the orchard and got killed. But I, I think I thought it was a neighbor. And that was what was implied. And they were, I said, they're living on a hill in a trailer and not very far from here. And uh, it's a young boy. So I'm going to say, I'll guesstimate from my memory about 10. And I said, I think the person that killed him might have been an autistic kid. And the family hid the body because they didn't want the autistic kid to get in trouble. And you know, autistic children, if it's severe enough, they're not fully aware of the fact that they have tremendous strength. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people do prosecute them, but they really don't belong in a prison. They belong in a, you know, a psychiatric hospital. I mean, I do have compassion for that situation. But um, so I gave a lot more detail. And um, I guess that morning uh, about eight o'clock. So I went back to bed and about eight o'clock, the woman where we were staying as a guest uh, got a phone call from a local police officer saying, we have a missing kid. Can you come out and help us? And Marlene said, really? And she had heard what what the, the dream I had mentioned to my father. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes, well, come on over here and let me tell you what my little guest just said. And I had what I had done was in the morning at breakfast, I was drawing pictures of everything, um, not because of the police. I didn't know they were coming. <clears throat> so he comes over and has coffee and he picks up one of the pictures and he goes, what is this? And it was a house that was square. It was made of stone and it had a half moon driveway. And in the center of the driveway was the only tree on the lot and um, a water fountain. And I said, oh, this is where we're going next. And he goes, what do you mean, we? I said, I, I don't know. I guess we're just going here. And I was 13 or 14. And um, he goes, uh, okay, so let's go there. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, let's go. So my father, uh, Marlene, who was also a psychic and did work for the police department, we got in the car and went to this house with the stone building. It was very specific. Well, it turns out the co- that was the cop's house. And he was a little floored. Oh, my God. You, she, she drew this house that's exactly square, only one tree, one water fountain, all the details. He, he, he just said, I've never seen anything like that. So, um, so that was my per- first police job. And the story of the missing boy was all true and accurate. But um, at the time um, in Maryland, I'm not sure. That was in the early 70s, I guess. They didn't use canine that much. I think mm. had they used canine, or if they use canine now, they'll probably find the boy. Mm-hmm. But you know, but the family did live on a hill. They did live in a trailer. Um, they did have five kids, and their neighbor at the other side of the the apple orchard was autistic, and he was one of the suspects. They originally suspected the family, but I said, no, it's the autistic boy on the other side of the apple apple orchard. And they said, well, how would you know about that? I said, I was told in a dream last night. Now, I don't know how what happened to you after your drowning, but I think there's some kind of oxygen deprivation or uh, change in the brain cells. I'm not really quite sure, but definitely the pictures, the, the, um, the visions grew bigger and better all the time, year after year, I, mm-hmm. I guess because of the drowning. So, so now I, you, you said you're getting pictures too in your head, correct? Oh yeah, I get a... Um... I, I get specific uh, images of things or people, and <clears throat> the names just kind of pop up there. I mean, I mean, I literally see the the, the names in block letters, and mm-hmm. uh, I see a lot of colors too. And I, over time, I've been able to associate the colors with certain spirit energy vibrations and such. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I I define it too, which I I think is very helpful. I mean, I joke with people. I say um, green is one of my favorite colors. It's Kelly green. Whenever I see that in an immense amount of color, I know I'm going to get a big job in, a big project. Um, because I am a treasure hunter, <clears throat> it also means to me that I might be finding the treasure uh, immediately. Um, to This morning I saw green and I saw like cobalt blue. 
cobalt blue can be a multiple amount of things, which is like a, <clears throat> it's a job for a commercial project. Um, when I see purple, it means it could be a person who's ill. And so I know a person's going to call up and want to talk to me about their illness and that kind of thing. I don't like talking about illness. I don't mm -hmm. like, like talking about the fact that people are going to pass and all that. But sometimes we have stories and I'll explain, you know, one of them, for example. So let's say I saw purple and I have a client that came in and I said, oh, you're going to talk to me about your, um, your ill husband. And she goes, no, he's fine. And I, and I, this was years ago. And I said, uh, okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to tell you right now, you better insure him. Uh, I don't know that he even has a year left. And I said, you know, he's seeing other women. No, I didn't know that. And I said, well, when he dies, you're going to find he has presents for the girl underneath the passenger seat that he didn't get the chance to deliver. And she said, what? I said, yeah. So go insure him. She was so pissed. She insured him for a couple million and he signed it. And um, he, in about eight months, he died of a massive heart attack. So she put her son through law school and he had screwed up the will and everything. Um, so she couldn't get anything. And the son was a lawyer. So he, he made sure she got her money <laughs> and they went through his car and in the passenger seat underneath the seat, he had some jewelry for his new girlfriend with her name and everything. And you got to laugh, Lon. It's, it's a part of life, you know? And um, mm. I mean, I have a lot, a lot of those weird stories. Sometimes I can say, oh, yeah, the death is very, very soon. Um, sometimes it's drawn out. Sometimes it's not. Um, I had a sad story with a client where Purple came in. And um, this was a, a regular client of mine from South Carolina. And I said, "Did she had come in um, when she had first gotten married. And I said, your husband doesn't have a long life. If you can afford it purchase really big life insurance because you will be on your own. I said, I, your sons look really short. So I, I don't, it might be when they're 10 ages, 10 to 15. I said, that's a broad year time frame, but I didn't even know her sons were short and that's why they look so young, mm. but, but he actually died when they were 15 and she had insured him. And so she won like, you know, like 2 million or something with the, with the insurance um, and she got to retire early because it was so stressful. He had um, extreme diabetes and oh, it was terrible arthritis. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a unique search, circumstance. Um, so that was the purple. Uh, sometimes purple comes in also when, and here's a couple little stories. Um, I saw purple one morning and it kept coming in and coming in. And I thought, wow, that's a big emergency because it was so impacting on me. And that morning I woke up from my daughter screaming and she apparently had pulled a muscle so bad. I had to literally put her in the car, rush her to the hospital. And she, she I, I guess it was just so incredibly painful that I'm the, so the purple is a confirmation to me. Oh yes. You're going to have to deal with a client or a family member with a medical problem. And that's what I had to do that morning. Um, mm. I mean, I've had those weird circumstances. Um, and then, of course, I have odd situations where somebody will call and say, how long do you think my husband has? And I'll say, well, here's the good news. If you consider looking at these five doctors in these different categories, you could save your husband. And so some women will do whatever they got to do to save their husband. I have one right now who is trying really hard to get him to the right people. And I'm going to cross my fingers because... Uh, 
he is severely ill. Mm -hmm. and, um, but there's so many good alternative options for cancer or for whatever else he has. So um, that that's the good news on, on the cancer level. Um, there was, just for your, your clients or listeners, there's so many good CBD gummies out there now that mm -hmm. are very helpful with cancer. And legally, I can't give diagnosis nor treatment, but they can do the research and see what they need for their loved one or themselves. But there are some really great uh, gummies or CBDs that will, will really make a difference. Mm. Yep, good, good stuff. <clears throat> so those are, you know, the, so the first case I worked on was when I was really young and my father wasn't one to go public um, on my casework because um, my mom kept saying, I, she called me a freak. I was uh, one of uh, five and um, I think my, both my parents had a little bit of the ability. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I, I'm a twin, she has a little bit. Um, my brother used to call me with a dream and say, oh, I had a dream about this, this, and this. And I would, I would analyze it and say, oh, it means this. Um, and then other times my brother wouldn't move on it. He would tell me about after the fact. Um, we had an aunt who got killed um, and you can almost say murdered. And what happened was he had the dream and he, um, he had a dream that they were going down to the basement and he said the flue was clogged. And because of that, there was a death, but he didn't know who. And he knew which house it was because I had a grandmother with a Victorian home and my aunt died. He didn't, mm. he didn't, he didn't move on it and clean the, the flu. So, um, you know, the, these are some of the weird things that do happen. Um, so of course my, my, my abilities, I mean, I stick to where I'm an expert. I mean, lately people have been calling me for some things and I do turn them away sometimes, um, or I can refer them to someone, or I just say, this kind of job doesn't interest me. Mm. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a, uh, it's my work is a little more weirder than yours in the sense that I have to deal with these clients. I mean, you have to deal with witnesses. I have to deal with people that are in the thick of it that are so traumatic. They're, mm -hmm. they're just so traumatized. I mean, they're emotionally out of control sometimes with the true crime casework. Um, so thank God I do treasure hunting because it's a lot more fun. Yeah, what's that all about? I mean, I didn't I didn't really realize you were into that until the last few years. So uh, what? Uh, how'd you get started and then how'd that progress and what are you doing now? So um, years ago, I what I did with my father is I would do a lot of his marketing and book him for lectures and that kind of thing. And I said, mm -hmm. well, let's, you know, so I would sort of, I would cheat. Like while I give world, world events, I would give him predictions on his events and his marketing and see what was coming up in the world, you know, for the um, things that were of interest to people or what were the new hobbies. And I said, dad, you're not going to believe it. Treasure hunting is going to become a thing. And I said, ghost hunting is going to be big, 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 but not big yet. And I said, but it's coming. And so I got involved with the Fortean organization. You know who they are. Mm -hmm. And loved that stuff. That was really quite concrete. People were great, authentic, um, just the facts, ma'am, you know. And, and then um, <clears throat> my dad, I got my dad into treasure hunting. And he sort, of, uh, he sort of fell into it. He was giving classes on dowsing. And people would ask him to work on their treasure hunt. And sometimes he found things. Um, 
Our most successful stuff, other than the Al Capone job I did, was at the beach. I mean, we, my dad, found buckets of stuff, and um, we would we would narrow down the day, the time, the depth, um, and of course we have you know America sells great metal detecting equipment now, um, and I have a couple of guys that have purchased expensive as it is, it's still worth it. Um, they have purchased the drones that have LIDAR or mm -hmm. the um, magnetometers. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so you can narrow down literally with the GPS. So all GPS areas and find stuff. And um, they're using the same equipment to double check it. You go out in the field and with seven minutes, you have treasure. I mean, it's, it's utterly amazing. Hmm. Do you ever, do you ever metal detect or you don't? I don't. I um, I have thought about it in the past, but I haven't done it. Um, I'm fascinated by it. You know, it's just like this whole Oak Island thing that's been going on now for whenever uh -huh. you know for centuries. Yeah. Well, and um, yeah. you know what's going on there now, and supposedly that's something to do with Portugal and the Templars and whatever. But um, I I'm more interested. I, I could care less if they find anything, to be honest with you. I'm more interested in the history and some of some of the things that are coming up with it. Uh, but, um, I mean, if they find something, they find something. Uh, do you have well, any thoughts was, on that, that I, incident? Um, they did call my dad and asked us to work on their project uh, years, like in their first year. Mm -hmm. And they did not offer compensation. And they, they originally went to the American Society of Dowsers, which I promote frequently, because if you want to learn dowsing, that's where you got to go. What's so great about it? It helps you pinpoint both true crime, missing objects and treasure. Mm -hmm. And so, so they originally went there and they heard about my father from his goings on with some true crime. He didn't, he quit doing true crime. He wasn't comfortable with it after a while. Mm -hmm. He didn't like the attitude with the police departments. Um, and so he, he stuck with the treasure hunting and with, uh, we did, we did a lot of good work with, uh, crystal mining and mm -hmm. we worked with a guy out of Arkansas and, um, we would douse an area and dig. And sometimes we would find crystals, 40 pounds, 20 pounds, 60 pounds. I mean, solid, solid crystals, shocking, mm -hmm. but it was really great stuff. Um, so on treasure hunting, the thing about, uh, for example, one of my projects, I'll talk about two of them. One of them is we recently found last September um, an oil lamp uh, from the 300s AD in the New England area. And then he had his friends go out with a boat with magnetometers and LIDAR, and they actually found the ship that went with the, uh, the lamp, the oil lamp. So in the 380 time frame, what they did was, of course, they didn't like light bulbs. So they used an oil and a lamp and they would light themselves, light, light the way to, to get wherever they were going or get to see the water and what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, but we have not moved forward yet with that, with the, the state curator, but um, we're going to have to eventually. Um, they're going to go out and do some more. And the reason we haven't moved too forward too quickly is we've only found a few things. The lamp in itself, there's only two in the world. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a, a knife. Uh, the ship is intact. There was um, uh, a penny. Well, I can't call it a penny, a coin. And it was labeled 328 AD. 
what, and, what, uh, what civilization was it? I don't know. It's, you know, I, you know, I have a picture of everything. Um, yeah. and, you know, and if you get to the point where you're just too curious, I'll hook you up to my treasure hunter. Sure. A lot of them, um, keep their cards close to their chest. Um, for example, so, so on that one, we're, he's going back out, but we're going after Knights Templar. We're going after, let's see, some more Al Capone items. Um, I, not Bugsy Siegel. Um, one of the other guys that, that traveled North and the, 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 um, Italians were pretty amazing with their, um, hiding of money. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I can't say much. My dad was Italian and, um, <laughs> I mean, they just, I, I mean, he, he always taught us to hide stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I have a little bit of a problem when I hide stuff. If I hide five items, sometimes it takes me a year to find the fifth one. Cause I hide it so well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I under, I get that. Yeah. You put, you like, oh, this is a really safe place. Yeah. Um, I just hit the TV remote and I'm thinking I can't, it's been missing for a month. Uh, five other things. I found them, you know, yay. But <laughs> <laughs> after a while, it's like, stop hiding it so well. Um, and I do, I do use the dowsing to locate stuff, which does happen. It, it's mm -hmm. great. Um, so, um, so that's the new England job that we're, we're going to go to press on that eventually. Mm -hmm. um, so I have another one where, I have a guy out in the Southwest and we're going after Nephilims, which are the giant people. And um, years ago, I guess in the forties, they found a few skulls um, from scientists and they rushed them away and, and hid them. Uh, I guess they thought the public couldn't handle the idea of somebody being, you know, eight or 13 feet tall. Um, so, and that's one of the dilemmas, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of the paranormal is, you know, um, it's, it's so complicated on my end. It's, it's typically very complicated. Um, on, on the Al Capone case, I used dowsing and found over 60 bars of silver among other things, um, in Southern Illinois and the client, um, I wasn't there. The client went to the area and I pinpointed a radius. I said, do a 10 by 10 box and, um, 10 foot by 10 foot and go there. And he took LIDAR out. Um, not, I'm sorry, not LIDAR, um, ground penetrating radar. And um, their first hit, they dug like two feet and they found a trunk hood. And um, when they did, they pulled it up and they said, Jeanette, oh, it's only an old trunk hood. That's all you found. And I said, no, why would I put you in the middle of nowhere on a farm? And we know for a fact they were there. We know for a fact this was one of their bed and breakfasts. And they said, okay. I said, do the ground penetrating radar again. And they did. And when they did, they dug two more feet. They, they had a reaction, dug two more feet and found over 60 bars of silver from a robbery from the U.S. government, from the Mint. Mm. <clears throat> and that had to be an inside job, I'm sure. You know, mm. but I mean, I do, I do find stuff. I mean, I had a client in Austria. He found some things. Um, so we find them periodically, but for example, I get calls on missing animals, which are pretty tough. That, that work is really tough stuff. Um, the people are, it's almost, you know, like, let's say I have the client Betty and she calls and her dog is missing. I'm seeing a lot of kidnapping of cats and dogs. 
um, especially if it's a, a you know a, a purebred or something. Mm -hmm. and, and it's it's really bizarre. I mean, people are reselling them. You know, oh, I found this beautiful dog, and well, I'm sorry, they don't say they found it. They said, oh yeah, my mom doesn't want her dog anymore. Lie, and they sell it for a couple grand. Um, for example, Russian blues; those cats are worth two thousand dollars. I know. It, it's crazy. I mean, you've got a tomcat. I I'd rather have my tomcat cries or not you know <laughs> but i don't let my cat out but let's put it that way I'm, well, I'm I'm saying you, your cat's an inside cat mm -hmm. yeah well yeah. Yeah, they have to get tortured by us but yeah. uh, so there's some of the things that i do um i i'm trying to think what else i do i um yeah and, and i'm not always perfect on all my casework i mean i i do laugh i mean i had a woman call about some missing gold coins and and here's one of the complications. She said, no, I live by myself. She lied. She was living with mom and dad. And I said, so I need your street address. And I believe at first she gave me her apartment address where she lived by herself. And then she moved back in with her parents. And that's where all the gold coins were from. Don't give me the wrong information. Give me the right <laughs> information. How, how am I going to find your stuff if you're giving me the wrong location? I, I get that too. You know, when I'm at people, you know, I don't know why, but people, for whatever reason, I, I don't know. You know, it, they it, just, it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's complicated. It's like, come on, dude. You don't have to, get, I, I'm not coming to your house. I'm not going to knock on your door. I'm not going to drive you crazy. Mm. You know, you met the alien. Okay. I'll write up the witness information. That's all I want to do. Yeah, I, um, I just had a nasty gram from a client. This is a funny one. This is the ugly on, on some of the paranormal. Um, I did a job and she wrote her sister a nasty note about me. <clears throat> and I gave her a really, really good price on, on her missing child, adult child. <clears throat> and um, the daughter was found deceased, unfortunately. And the only reason they looked in the river with canine was because I said, she's in the river further up west. I said, I can't tell how far because when a body is in the water, it moves all over the place. Mm -hmm. It can be thrown into little holes. It can be thrown up on land, everything. Well, she wrote her sister a nasty gram about me, but guess what? She accidentally sent it to me. And I thought, Oh God, oh God what the yeah. heck? You know, so, so I was like, okay, got to back off from this family. So again, good, bad, and ugly, you know, other, and other people, uh, I will tell you, I have people that treat me really great. Um, I don't charge a ton of money and I love what I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know you do. Uh, I've got some people asking in the, in the chat about the, uh, the Nephilim and the giants. Can you sure. kind of go into more detail with that? Well, um, what I do is, um, first, what I like to do with any kind of treasure, and Nephilims are treasure, is um, you have to say, all right, so was there previous uh, remains found in the area? So I have a guy in, in the Southwest, and he said, yeah, they, they have it. We've got proof. Um, the Smithsonian has some of the bones, mm -hmm. and um, I have a new contact there. And um, so they dug up some of the bones, uh, now, it could be there's 10 bodies, but they only dug up five. And they shipped them off to D.C., but D.C. shipped them off to Front Royal. And so that was the chain of command. And so um, I, he and I are going to go after it only for the historical part of it and hoping that the Smithsonian stops hiding it and shares it with the public. Um, I don't think there's going to be any money in it, but it's fun. 
and the client has the magnetometer and it's a drone. Um, and I want to tell your, 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 your listeners, whenever you have a drone, <clears throat> whenever you're treasure hunting, you have to be really careful. Every state has a different law on uh, drones. Absolutely. Uh, so out West, if you want to go to Utah, for example, if you don't register your drone and tell them what areas you're going to, you could get a $10,000 to $100,000 fine. Mm. So I tell people, be very careful. Because I know treasure hunters are always at the water, mm -hmm. um, but they're now using the drones. And um, it's not worth getting arrested or not. It's, it's not worth to turn the stuff in. If you find something historical, take pictures of it, send a press release out. Hey, we found this. And then turn it in, but get your pictures or videos, like your friend said, Jennifer. <clears throat> and um, don't get in trouble. It's not worth the consequences. Right. Uh, so on the Nephilims, um, all I know is we're looking for bones. So I create a list and a protocol in order to find them. Um, unfortunately, my guy in the Southwest broke his leg in several places so as soon as he gets well, he's going to go out and we're going to go after some, uh, we've got like five states, Utah, let's see, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. Um, and so we have definite sites and areas, but I, again, I, I pinpoint a GPS area and say, I want you to do a five foot radius or a 10 by 10 foot radius. <clears throat> and I said, just remember, once you touch one, you either have to stop, depending on what the state law is, and uh, you can either move forward or, or, you know, you can call the Smithsonian or whoever, but you got to have your documents ready to go so you protect yourself. Yeah, I think you mentioned me earlier today about uh, the, the guys you work with, the Jim Vieira and those guys. Yeah, I'm not working with him. I wanted to talk to him about the fact oh, okay. that, that um, I have some stuff in New England that is... 300 AD. I mean, it certainly helps the state know that someone was there in 300 AD. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, I think they'd be interested to be quite honest with you. Oh yeah. Uh, I you mean, know, this... because, you know, even, you know, even these, these guys that have been able to go to the Island, they're finding dates, you know, uh, pre-Templar and, and a lot of other dates for a lot of other different things. So I don't know, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot we don't know about the history here here in our country. I mean, uh, yeah. it's just so much of that. Now you mentioned, I, I heard you say something about front Royal. Do you, do, does the Smithsonian have a place at front Royal too? Uh, yeah. When I was a kid, um, I was invited to the Smithsonian to work on some, um, I think it was Afghanistan um, dowsing for them for water with mm -hmm. my father and also some archeological digs and, um, you know, it, one thing about working for some people is they give you immediate feedback. No, you're right about this or you're wrong about that, that kind of thing. And um, we were standing there and he goes, well, some of the stuff we have has to get shipped to Front Royal for warehousing. And um, so then we did the uh, my my client out of the southwest <clears throat> in New Mexico said that the Nephilims that they had were all shipped to Front Royal. And that really? was some documents. And then I talked to a friend of mine who's on the board as <laughs> so I got lucky. And <clears throat> she goes, yeah, they have a warehouse out there. Um, I'm sure it's covert. You know, I mean, nobody wants you to know it's there. Yeah. I never knew about it. <clears throat> oh yeah. So again, I get lucky, right place, right time, you know, interesting. 
you know, Front Royal, I used to hang out at Front Royal a lot for a lot of different reasons, but there's some weird energy out there, you know, for a lot of different reasons. And well, I don't know if it has to do with the Shenandoah and everything around there, plus all the ca caverns and it, it, it's just a really bizarre area. I get a, a lot of weird energy, I feel, when I'm there. Well, when I was a kid, my father owned a, um, uh, a, a outdoor outfitting company. You ever heard mm -hmm. of Appalachian Outfitters? Mm -hmm. Okay, so my dad was the original Appalachian Outfitters. Oh, and, okay. And so, I mean, I have pictures of us camping and that kind of thing. That, that, that's true child abuse. We're going to take a mile walk eight miles later. <laughs> um, so he was into backpacking. He was a former uh, Cub Scout leader, Boy Scout leader, Eagle Scout leader. <clears throat> um, he was definitely into the outdoors. And so he helped sell canoes, kayaks, um, parkas, all that kind of good stuff. And he wrote four books on canoeing. And those were quite good. They were really good books because they were very detail oriented. Mm -hmm. um, his other books on treasure hunting and that kind of thing were edited by someone who didn't put a lot of effort in. So the books will be helpful for treasure hunters. There's not a lot around. Um, I, I don't have a lot. Um, I am working on a, a new treasure hunting book, um, but there are definitely tricks to treasure hunting. Um, but I will tell you, some people, <clears throat> it's not that they're not meant to find treasure. It's like hitting the lottery. Mm -hmm. um, I have a guy out of Arkansas, and he keeps hitting tin cans. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it could be he's got a metal detector that only goes two feet, you know? Maybe. I mean, he was going after Jesse James stuff. I mean, I can work on some cases, and I say, uh, yeah, 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 you got something historical here. You, it, you know, but you have to make sure you get all the right. <clears throat> contracts dot your eyes and cross your t's so you don't get arrested for being on the wrong property mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah i i go after almost anything within reason um i, I get some really really wild phone calls <laughs> no i imagine you do mm -hmm. so uh, as far as missing person goes what, what's probably the most unusual case you've been involved with um <clears throat> oh i don't know i'm trying to I can tell you two or three short stories because okay. we don't have the time. Okay. Um, I one of my favorite good stories, feel good stories, um, was a little girl went missing. <clears throat> I guess she was in Falls Church, and mm -hmm. I, I knew the father. Didn't really know the mom. Um, they were separating, and they called me. You know, terribly boohooing, beautiful little girl, and um, I, I had to stop everything I was doing because the feds had already flown in. So apparently the kid had been missing for, I think, two days. She left the elementary school. So let's say it was Monday. She left the elementary school. She was walking home and she disappeared on the way home. Mm -hmm. And so they came in. So I guess they came in maybe Thursday. And um, the mom was sitting there and I said, stop crying. Let's focus. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's frightening. And um, I said, let me think, let me think. And I don't remember if I had a piece of her clothing. It just, it's just an added plus to have that essence or that vibe. And I said, oh my God. And she goes, what, did a pedophile get her? I said, no, are you getting, and I got the chills. I get the chills every time I talk about it. And she mm -hmm. goes, I got the chills. What is it? I said, she's at her girlfriend's house hiding from you. She <laughs> goes, what? She goes, that's not true. She's six years old. And I said, nope, she is living in the shed behind her girlfriend's house. 
because mommy and daddy are divorcing and she doesn't want to leave mommy or daddy. And she's so upset. All her girlfriends, and I, I said, these are the girlfriends. They all know, and they're feeding her. They're, so she's got a cot in the shed. And so the mother was just burst out crying. She ran over, talked to the feds. They go, this girl's full of crap. So they went back to the four little girls that were her best friends. And they broke down crying. Boo, hoo, hoo. Yeah, yeah, she was in the shed. Who would have thought wow. at six years old? So um, that was a really, really good story. Um, it uh, it breaks your hearts. Kids, you know, can be highly affected by a divorce, but um, that that really did happen. And um, you, you know, uh, I don't know if it ever made that one ever. It I didn't go public on that one because it mm -hmm. was for the poor mom who was so um, freaked out about it. That, that oh, was, absolutely. That was pretty rough. I did work on one in Woodbridge, which was a sad one. Um, I, that one was, that one was a learning experience. The shed thing was easy to me. Um, and maybe the vibe was so good that it, I, it, it was easy for me to pick up on. The one in Woodbridge was very, very easy, but it was sad because I had to tell the parents their little two-year-old was deceased and drowned. Um, I said at first, it, so what I do is I go by the first few pictures and I saw a man looking at the little girl, which made me worry about a pedophile. Mm -hmm. um, but I said, let me just keep looking at the slideshow I'm seeing. And uh, I guess what had happened was I saw her walking and walking and walking and she was by the river. And then I saw her in water and she kept, I kept hearing the word washing machine and you have to think outside the box. Well, I said, I, I, I don't know why I want to say this, but I want to go to the dam. But the dam was like one to two miles from the house where she went missing. And I said, I want to go to the dam. And I think she's right there. Well, I was unaware of the fact, and firemen know this and cops know this, but if children fall off a dam and they fall off, a, uh, you know, fall into the water or even an adult, um, think of it this way, the dam curls the water of the person in it mm -hmm. like a washing machine mm -hmm. and so the body doesn't always get spit out quickly um the water the water cases are the hardest because sometimes it's stuck like i said in a hole or it's stuck in that washing machine or some you know like i have a, that i had that other case and i think the body was caught up underneath boats and eventually the pressure from the water pushed her out on this particular one Eventually she was spit out, but I had to tell the family that, um, I think they used canine on that one. I had to tell the family because the husband was pissed. The mother was on the phone. Uh, this one did hit the papers with NBC and Jackie Benson. <clears throat> and I said, okay, she's two years old. She's not being watched. She's walking and walking and walking. She sees the water. You know how that is. Water, water, water. Flowers next to the water. Next thing you know, she falls into the water and she drowns and um it, it broke up that marriage um it, it it was a tragedy that that mom was just preoccupied yeah. um, and i'm not going to blame the mom because she lost mm -hmm. her child too but um yeah water is not a little one's friend you know for sure, sure. Um, so those are two of my children ones <clears throat> um i mean i could certainly go on and on i mean i i have casework that you know, some of your clients you become close to because they're just so nice. Mm -hmm. um, and they just, 
they're relying on you to find their loved one. Um, but I, I mean, I had a case where, uh, well, I had two cases. I'll, I'll tell you this one. I, it's a Pennsylvania case that, that I haven't gone public on yet. Um, a woman disappeared. I think it was right near Pittsburgh. And I was working with a community member and a friend of the family. And um, I was working a little bit with, in, in Pennsylvania, I don't think they call them cops. They call them marshals or sheriffs or something. Yeah, I, they, they have different jurisdictions. Uh, right. right. Of, every, every township has a, a police department, it seems, or a sheriff's right. department. Right. So, so what had happened was um, I was talking to the sheriff and I said, okay, you know, the reason I'm calling is the family member asked me to call you and talk to you. And they said you would listen to me. <clears throat> All right, this is a murder. This is a homicide. And he goes, are you sure? Because we think she just ran off. And I said, well, you're prejudging the situation because she was a stockbroker who who had moved down. So she's making a ton of money from New York City. Mm -hmm. And she moved down to like Pittsburgh or something. And she totally freaking disappeared. House full of furniture. Everything was there. Her purse was there. And um, I said, okay, so here's the deal. I am picking up a location. I said, do you have a park there called George Washington Park? And I don't even know why I said it. I just said, I'm hearing. So you have to pay attention to your perception. Right. So I said, I, I see George Washington, and I think it's a park. And in the park, there's all sorts of roads, but she's next to the road that is a T intersection. And it's the only road in the park that is a T intersection. And I said, next to it on the corner is a building that looks like it might've been a church at one time, then it was a museum, and then it was an abandoned building, and then it was something else, so you get my drift. But I said, it's on the corner, that's the intersection. And I said, either she's right there, or let's do this. Let's go three houses back on the road, walking up to the T intersection and, um, I, I didn't go. The, the community member got 60 people and they walked from the third house down or sixth house down, not very far. So they're, they're like middle of a hill and they're walking uphill. And I said, look all around. <clears throat> and when you get to that church, you know, you're going to, between now and then you're going to see, you don't even have to get to the dead end. You don't have to get to the T intersection. It's right there. And so they asked me, well, who killed her? And I said, well, on this one, she had a gay lover at one time. And the, I believe the gay lover killed her. But don't quote me because I see something to do with a man that's involved, too. And they told me that she did have a gay lover. And I said, does she, the gay lover have a brother she dated? So the woman, let's call her Susan, she was dating the brother periodically. And she was so she was bisexual and she was dating the, the gay lover which caused a spat, of course. And then, um, but the gay lover wanted to borrow some money and killed her. But I um. said, the one who drives the green car is the killer. The evidence is hidden in the attic of the house that looks like a, um, I said, I think one of them lives in a house with their mother and it looks like a split level. And she went up in the attic and put the gun right, right inside the attic. And um, it was just like a slideshow, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And um, so the good news is uh, the 60 people were paying attention. And the girl who killed her, this is was in the search looking for her. Mm -hmm. He screamed out. She goes, look, I see her, I see her. 
you know, I mean, it had been, I think, don't quote me, I think three months. And so we were going in from October to, to like this December, January, like right, right at the end of December. Mm-hmm. And she had start, you know, what do you call it? She had turned into, you know, she had rigored, you know, she was really, um, like frozen in time because they'd already had some snow. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, here she is. Well, when you walk up to the building that was like a church, it was an old church, had been a museum, had been all sorts of stuff. Um, there was an oil, um, you know, one of those oil containers to heat the building. Mm-hmm. And she had placed the body between the oil and the building. And so they found the body in 20 minutes. And um, it, it was a sad story because, you know, anger, you know, she needed money. So she went to her girlfriend. The girlfriend said no. So she killed her. And she killed her with a gun. They found the gun in the house. And she was the girl. The gay lover was the girl driving the blue-green car. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that one just went like a domino. Everything right. fell into place. Um and, and of course, again, I'm not always perfect. I mean, again, I'll say, no, I won't take the case. Or um, like this past year, I just got a call on a very famous worldwide case. Mm-hmm. And um, to be honest with you, I, I said, I'll, I'll call you back. And I haven't called them back. Um, the people are very scary. <laughs> and I, I, I just don't know if I want to move forward on that one. You know, because so far, what, three people are dead? Um, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think I want to be the fourth. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm gonna let that sit, you know. So, exactly. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, Jeanette, I, I'm gonna, I, I, we're gonna go ahead and end the show. Just tell people how they can get in touch with you. And, sure. Uh, you know. Sure. Well, I have a website, reachjeanette.com, R-E-A-C-H, Jeanette, G-I-N-E-T-T-E, dot com, or they can call me direct tomorrow. Um, I, I start working at noon, so Eastern Standard Time on 571-358-1444, 571-358-1444. And uh, thanks for having me, Lon. Uh, you know, well, I appreciate you of- coming on. We hadn't talked, sure. you know, I haven't had you on the show a while. Uh, we talk about a lot of different things, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but I know we'll be talking. So, you know, if anything interesting comes up and we have some more documentation and, and such. Uh, we'll bring you back on and we'll talk about it. That's very nice of you. Thank you, Lon. Have a nice night. You take care. Bye. Mm. Now, if you have an unexplained encounter or something, feel free to contact me through the Fams and Monsters blog site. I want to again thank Jeanette for uh, joining me this evening. And thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. Uh, your support is what makes all this possible. So please like, subscribe, and share. If uh, you have a sighting or encounter report that you would like to be considered for a personal report show or posted at Phantoms of Monsters, feel free to uh, forward it to my email at lonstrickler.phantomsofmonsters.com. So next Friday, I welcome researcher, producer, and author Daniel Allen Jones to the show. His book, Aurora, 125 Years of UFOs, Aliens, and a Texas Legend is from, uh, I mean, from 1897, examines the 125-year-old alien encounter in UFO mystery from uh, the cemetery at Aurora, Texas. So we'll be discussing that and a few other of his investigations. So make sure you uh, join us next Friday night. 
And uh, then next Wednesday, we're going to have another personal reports uh, edition. So I'll go ahead and post. I'll have that posted pretty soon. And, uh, you know, we'll have that up there for you all to get a hold of it. So, um, again, until next week, uh, stay healthy. Have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Good night.